0: You are listening to We Saw the Devil, an investigative and conversational true crime podcast that deep dives into fascinating criminal cases that are solved, unsolved, or ongoing. From America's Lori Vallow to Germany's Armin Mivis, we examine and discuss the world's most shocking cases. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to follow us online. Check us out at wesawthedevil.com and we saw the devil on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget, you can become part of the show by backing us on Patreon. Hello everyone. You are listening to We Saw The Devil. This is Robin, and I am back with another Lori Vallow update for you. Joining me on this episode once again is Brittany, who many of you absolutely loved in the last episode. So she is actually going to be coming back frequently to cover the Lori Vallow case with me. Now, full disclosure, we actually recorded this episode on June 4th. Fortunately, or unfortunately, however however you feel about it, One big thing has happened since then, and that is Rob Wood came out and said that he would not actually be fighting Mark Means on Lori Vallow being found not competent to stand trial which is huge news. And guess what? We are going to do a separate episode discussing the the implications of that. So for this episode, uh, we actually did end up discussing the possibility that Lori Vallow may be criminally malingering. Uh, What if she is faking this in order to, say, kick the can down the road, give Mark Means more time? Or maybe she's not. Maybe she came face to face with the reality of the situation and what she has taken part in and done. So we basically discussed. just just how all of that would look. If it is criminal malingering, what kind of tests are there? Um, What will happen when a clinician sits down and, and speaks with her? What will they be looking for? What are the different types of criminal malingering? So we did spend a good amount of time on criminal malingering in this episode, and then also just a general discussion of the case and upcoming dates. So wanted to fully disclose, again, we did record on June 4th, so some of the discussion in this particular episode would obviously be very different um, if we had known that Rob Wood did come out and say that he was not going to fight it. We were under the assumption, because don't forget, Lori Vallow had a court date scheduled for June 16th. That was basically going to be Rob Wood you know, arguing against it, but that is no more. So we will have another episode out later this week discussing the current, current, current state, including Rob Wood uh, conceding to that. But before we get into it, let's get some housekeeping out of the way. You can find us at WeSawTheDevil.com. From there, you can email us at info at we devil And find us on all of our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, as well as our Patreon. Whereas for a little as $3 a month, you can get a variety of benefits like merch, true crime gifts, books, and ad-free episodes. As always, if you're liking the show, loving the show, please do not hesitate to titty slap that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on all things We Saw the Devil, including the cool true crime cases that we cover as well as the Lori Vallow case. And leaving a five star review is absolutely without a doubt one of the best things that you can do for any podcast, much less, you know, ours, which is always greatly appreciated. So much is determined by just the reviews, uh, your numerical review as well as your listener review. So if you could take a moment just to leave a quick review, that would be greatly appreciated. And finally, it has come to my attention that I have failed to create a safe space for titties of all sizes to subscribe to We Sell the Devil. Now, it was never my intent to isolate those who Can't properly knock their knockers, bounce their bongos, double dribble their double lattes, hammer their Hindenburgs, bob their shoulder boulders, and swing their lily hammers right into the subscribe button. Now, in the spirit of inclusivity, I invite those of you from the Itty Bitty Titty Committee to join us. You might not be able to drop those Danny DeVito's onto your keyboard, but you can absolutely mash those mosquito bites into oblivion. After all, it's not about the size of the boat, it's about the motion of the ocean. Now, let's go ahead and talk Lori Vallow. Brittany, thanks for coming back.
1: Happy to be back.
0: <laughs> no, I had a blast last time. It was so much fun discussing the case and going through the news, and we were wrong about something.
1: We? I don't know, man. Like, I'm <laughs> pretty, pretty sure that was a uh, solo adventure here. I think I think I owe an apology.
0: No, remember, we made a bet, and I agreed with you. I, I, You and I were both on the same side on this, so I, too, have to apologize.
1: And apparently we don't know how gambling works, because you're not supposed to both be on the same side, but here we are.
0: Okay, so as all of you know, on May 26th, Lori and Chad had their hearings. Um, this was post the grand jury indictment. Chad's went off without a hitch. He got his date for June 9th, and then Lori's hearing happened. And I don't think any of us expected that.
1: Yeah, I definitely did not expect her to uh, cry crazy. But here we are, guys.
0: To be perfectly honest, that even though I knew that it was a possibility, it was just the the last thing I thought that Lori Valo would do as a defense.
1: Same. I fully expected her to throw Chad under the bus, throw literally anyone else she could in, you know, harm's way. But it's it's interesting to see that this was the route they wanted to go. So let me just eat crow for a second and say I I'm not sorry for what I said about Melanie Gibb. I don't take it (laughs) back. I still think she's an absolute piece of shit, but she wasn't an absolute piece of shit in the way I described last time. Um, so she's not probably in that mental institution. Like I thought she probably was. And, um, I guess in the spirit of eating crow, I just want to let you guys know, I was at least pretty refined about it. I made a beautiful crow ceviche, lots of lime and pepper. I made a a crow duckin, So you just like stuff a crow inside a duck inside of a chicken. It's just a hearty meal. So lots of crow being had. Sorry again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was the uh, the reaction, I mean, and here's the thing, is that we came out with our speculation in the episode, and then was it like three hours later?
1: Not even <laughs> that. It was like two hours after we were done, and the news just goes insane, like, Lori's crazy, and I'm like, damn it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> damn it. So, yeah, guys, we were wrong. It happens. You know, shit happens, and unfortunately... That's why it's called speculation. And that does not mean, yeah. as a side note, that we will stop speculating. <laughs> but yeah. Can't I win them all.
1: Like our, I like our fan fiction. I think it's
0: fun. It is fun. What's happened since our last update? Well, this is the really exciting slash interesting part, is that Lori was declared unfit for trial. Her team basically came out and said she is not mentally fit to stand trial. Shocking. Like, completely, completely shocking, I have to say. A lot of people are wondering what that entails, like what the exam entailed. Um, What kind of symptoms uh, has Lori been exhibiting in order to get this particular declaration? Mm -hmm. What did you think when you when you first saw that?
1: Okay, so my first thought right away is, are you kidding me? Like, come on, this is the most calculating conniving, manipulative person I think I've ever heard of. I mean, just, we've seen this mess that she's left. Mm -hmm. Everywhere she goes, she leaves this path of destruction, and she always seems to, like, weasel her way out of it, right? So, seeing this happen, I was instantly furious, Mm -hmm. and I actually watched a show on HBO. I'd highly recommend it if you guys have HBO Max. If you don't, bum that shit off your friends. HBO does not care if you share logins, so... There you go. (laughs) But HBO Max has this show that's called Crazy, Not Insane. And it's an incredible documentary-style movie that really helps explain what does mentally fit mean? You know, does it mean they're like, you know, pooping into their hand and throwing it at the judge? No. It's actually a little bit different. So all this is basically saying is Mark Means feels that Lori is incapable of helping him defend her properly. Or mm-hmm. she's entirely unaware of what the like her reality right now. She's incapable of understanding the gravity and the charges against her. She's disconnected. So it's not that she's insane. The argument now is is she capable of understanding what is happening right now? And is she capable of helping Mark Means properly defend her?
0: And that is the question. Like, like we just said a moment ago, you know, you think of Lori Vallow and you think of someone who's who has been so cognizant and careful and manipulative and very self-aware, I think, right? through everything that we've known for decades. She's very self-aware and she knows exactly what she's doing and exactly how and when to turn on the charm when the time is appropriate. So I just can't like, it was just shocking. And what furthermore, if you listen to one of the previous episodes that I did, uh, I went through basically how Idaho works, how it does not have an insanity plea, how basically what will happen, right? Like if she is in fact, um, uh, declared unfit for trial after we'll we'll get there here in a moment. But if she is, and then she goes into date-sponsored rehab more or less, and like mental <laughs> like, you know, she it's only delaying the inevitable, you know, especially in this case. And then my mind sparks to what what is their end game here? This is obviously something that's very purposeful. Is she trying to distance herself from Chad? Um, is she turning on Chad? Like, I just I want to know what spurred this move.
1: I think we first have to look at like what led up to this, what changed before this happened. They could have cried crazy back when we didn't actually know whether or not the kids were dead or not. Mm -hmm. They could have, they could have cried crazy this entire time that she's been behind bars. And I mean, we're talking now that, okay, bodies were found. Now we have murder charges in multiple States. um, Well, close to it. And I feel like the immediate gratification that the defense is going to get out of this is okay. We just bought some time. We've got to figure this out. We just bought ourselves some time. Chad no longer has that same luxury. He's on he's on the clock now.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's
1: been he's been read his charges. We know when his next court date is. We know what's going to happen at that court date. Mm-hmm. He's he is on the clock. Lori has a little bit more wiggle room right now.
0: I understand that Lori now has more wiggle room and furthermore, can we talk about kind of like segueing off of that? Like Mark means has never tried a felony case to begin with. And he's correct. Dipping his toes first time into a capital offense case. Like yeah. she's up against the death penalty. No wonder he would need like a little extra, a little extra time to prepare for this. But I just guys, I just don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost too crazy to believe but this is where we are in the case, right? Like, remember when um, Lori was extradited from Hawaii into Idaho? The kids hadn't been found yet. And then fast forward to June 4th, today of 2021, and here we are. They're up against the death penalty, potentially. Their wagons are now, like, detaching from one another. Chad's literally on the clock, as you just said, and now Lori has wiggle room and is trying the immensely un- unfit for trial. Like, I just never in a million years saw this happening.
1: And don't forget, because it's been a while since we saw Mark Means in front of a judge. Judges basically mop the floor with him every single time he's in a courtroom. Do you guys remember when the judge literally pulled out her pocket? Uh, let me just educate you really quick on <laughs> the law. Since you're a lawyer, let me just help you out here. It's. I think it's been so long since we've seen Mark Means b mark means that we forget just how entirely incapable he is Mm
0: -hmm. and that's not even mentioning uh his his behavior and the way he carries himself on social media either i mean that's just a whole new level of unprofessionalism (laughs) that like i have never witnessed before seriously robin
1: obviously you've been researching true crime for a long time Has there, like, is there any precedent or cases or anything like that that you've looked at in the past that can maybe give us some insight as to what if Lori's totally bullshitting us? Like, what happens then?
0: Yeah. So one of the prime cases, like prime examples of this uh, is actually the hillside strangler Ken Bianchi. And the term that we are looking at and would potentially be discussing is called criminal malingering.
1: Okay, so not crying crazy. Got it. Right. Criminal malingering. Mm-hmm.
0: So Ken Bianchi with his cousin Angelo Buono, like Italian as fuck, right? They raped, tortured, and killed 10 women. Uh, Bianchi killed two of his own. And then they would then pose the bodies in horrific displays. So between 1977 and 1978, Los Angeles was completely in a panic. I think a lot of us have seen the uh, Richard Ramirez documentary that Netflix put out recently. Uh, A lot of us got into the East Area Rapist slash original Night Stalker case and how Sacramento, Los Angeles, uh, San Diego even, how everyone was just so on edge during this time. The Hillside Strangler was that on steroids. Because not only did these, were these women raped, tortured, and murdered, they were also found in very, very, very public places, posed in grotesque ways by the public, like by just random people walking their dogs, you know? Oh, sad. Yeah. Ken Bianchi, after he was finally arrested, uh, he started pulling the fast one immediately. He actually pretended to have multiple personalities, which, by the way, that condition is now known as DID, or Disassociative Identity Disorder. He actually managed, through his bullshit, to convince two clinical experts that his condition was genuine. Like, he actually faked having multiple personalities. But the police... What? Yeah. He actually convinced two clinical experts of this. But the police, who had been investigating him and knew him, say, pre-arrest, were like, no, 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 no. He is completely normal, and this is all an act. So one of the psychologists that they brought in to see Bianchi uh, was a man by the name of Martin T. Orne. And he actually decided to utilize hypnosis uh, to try to expose him because he, I'm sure he went in without a bias, but, you know, it was pretty obvious and a lot of people were claiming that he was in fact faking it. So he decided to utilize hypnosis in order to try to, uh, to discern that. Basically, okay. Martin T. Orne put him under and hit to hypnosis and he would give him commands. Dr. Orne would trace, say, a circle on the back of Bianchi's hand with his finger and say, okay, you know, stick out your thumb. And Bianchi would do purposefully the exact opposite. Like every single time, 10 out of 10, 100% of the time, Bianchi would react in the opposite way. So basically, they use that as proof that he was criminally malingering, that he was faking this entire condition in order to get some sort of benefit. So
1: was he actually like hypnotized then? Because I thought if you're hypnotized, you kind of are in the control of the hypnotizer.
0: Yeah, he was not hypnotized. Um, He was completely aware of his surroundings. And then he was also um, doing the exact opposite. Okay,
1: I see. So yeah. if he actually had multiple personalities, what would have been the expected you know response with tracing shapes on the back of the hand?
0: more so as far as with hypnosis, if you were actually hypnotized and, and and you you would follow all commands, period. So as far as like the tracing of the hands and that exercise, that basically exposed him that he was basically doing an o- the opposite on purpose. Like he had an idea of what um, multiple personality disorder had in his head and he was trying to replicate those symptoms. Uh, also, pe- yeah, and also people with uh, multiple personalities, I mean, what do they have? They have, you know, multiple personalities. They have alters. So Bianchi didn't have any magically. He said that he basically heard things, had hallucinations, visualizations, things like that. And Dr. Orne said, well, you realize that people with multiple personalities have alters, right? And literally within like 30 seconds, Bianchi mag- magically manifested a new one. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So like how more obvious can you be?
1: Okay. And then honestly, like in that moment, it would also immediately prove that if he's that calculating obviously he's aware of the ramifications of him not keeping up the charade like it's that future planning again and so with lori are we stretching too far here like is she seeing the writing on the wall and she's doing this as well you know she sees what's ahead and now i don't know that's interesting that you could be that calculating, even with something like this.
0: I mean, some people even play the long game. A handful of states don't have the insanity defense; Idaho being one of them. So Lori is only prolonging the inevitable here. I mean, period, full stop. This Lori Vallow will be declared competent one day. So I don't understand really why she's doing this, other than to buy time. I also don't think Lori Vallow has it in her to play the long game.
1: Keep in mind too, like we're not we're not trying to prove that Lori's uh you know her serotonin levels are perfectly balanced and her chakras are all all aligned. Like we're talking about is she capable of understanding the charges against her? Mm-hmm. And is she capable in not effing up what Mark Means is trying to do to keep her from getting the death penalty basically. Right. So we're not looking for a perfectly stable, normal individual. In fact, even the idea of someone being uh Declared insane at the time of their of the crimes they committed, it doesn't mean that they're incapable of standing trial. Like, right, you can be crazy. You don't have to. You can you can one hundred percent be crazy. You don't have to be insane.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Let's say that she is actually uh, criminally malingering. Let's say that she is faking this. Okay, so criminal malingering is basically where you fake certain mental health symptoms in order to gain or avoid something. Uh, It's not a disorder, it's a V code or condition. It's not something that someone can actually be diagnosed with. It's literally where someone fakes mental health symptoms for external gain. It is solely deliberate. So, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, Brittany, but I think we can kind of imagine scenarios of what Lori would have to gain here.
1: Yeah. So, If I can translate this, then basically it's like she's going to do her thing and then Idaho's just going to be like, okay, cool story, bro. Let's still see you in court.
0: Correct. Okay. Now there are three different types of malingering. Uh, The first one is pure malingering. And that's where someone acts like they have a disorder that they don't have. So if Lori comes out and says, I'm borderline personality disorder. I'm, um, you know, have major depressive issues. I have, you know, X, Y, or Z. Schizophrenic even. Uh, Schizophrenia is number one. So then the second type of malingering is partial malingering. And that's where someone has real symptoms, but they are exaggerating them. And this is increasingly harder to detect. You know, if someone actually has real symptoms, um, real tangible symptoms that a cl- like a clinician, can can verify and validate, it's it. You know, it's like when you tell someone that, say, your throat hurts, like you actually have, you know, a sore throat. You would very easily be able to exaggerate that and say, you know, you're basically dying from your sore throat, like ten out of ten, and it hurts really bad. Same same thing with some um, mental disorders. As far as all you have to do is exaggerate the symptoms. But what symptoms would Lori have exactly?
1: Apparently, I struggle with partial malingering when I was trying to get out of my job at a call center. Um, So (laughs) I'm going to have to meditate on that a bit.
0: (laughs) And then the final category of malingering is false imputation. And this is where you have real symptoms, but the cause of them is different than what it actually is so a very simple example would be um, you have a car wreck and you're nervous to drive a car again like you have trauma from that and that is a trigger. But if you see a therapist, you're like, no, I'm not nervous to drive my car because of my wreck. I'm nervous to drive my car because of say like an abusive past relationship. Um, so it's basically where oh. you attribute your syst- your symptoms to something entirely differently. I can't even imagine what that would be. Um, so honestly, I would put my money on if this is in fact the, the, the path that Lori is going down, that it would be pure malingering.
1: Yeah, I would say so, too, because from everything here, it's not like she's halfway lying or halfway. She goes all in on her stories. So I would say pure malingering as well.
0: Outside of malingering, there are also two disorders that are very similar to it. Um, One is fictitious disorder. And this is an actual mental disorder. Uh, It's where it's it's basically the faking of mental health symptoms is done solely for sympathy. There's nothing to gain other than someone being like Pat Pat.
1: Okay, well, if there's one bitch in this world who needs some sympathy, (laughs) it's probably Lori Vallow. So well played. Well played.
0: Uh, The second would be somatic symptom disorder. And this is when someone, again, has real symptoms, but they are unexplained. So this is when someone actually does have real symptoms that are completely unexplained. But those symptoms seem to have some sort of correlation with mental health rather than, um, say, like a physical underlying cause.
1: Interesting. So, like, all I can think of is, like, a panic attack you might sweat and your heart might race and things like that, but it's really your anxiety causing right symptoms. Right. Okay. Or, or
0: let's it. say like ringing in the ears or let's say she's hearing things even, um, not voices, but like say sounds. She could basically say, I have ringing in my ears and you know, I'm, I'm schizophrenic. And it really is like, no, you're anxiety. You know what I mean? Like it completely, she has a real symptom, but it's something based on mental health versus an actual physical, physical cause.
1: Well, Jesus, like I'm hearing all these things of what it could be. How are they ever going to be able to tell what she is? Like, how would you even begin to test for this?
0: So. First and foremost, it must be stated that a lot of mental health disorders can, in fact, be faked. Uh, Ken Bianchi taught us that. However, some are more easily faked than others. So it really depends on, you know, how Lori goes for glory on this, if this is, in fact, what she is doing. Malingering actually, believe it or not, guys, is actually not that common. Not that many people do it. I don't know if our society now is just full of a bunch of quitters or like (laughs) why they choose not to.
1: I have no idea. Like This seems daunting.
0: Right? It seems so daunting when you have a whole host of potential reasons uh, and causes of being declared unfit for trial. But again like I said earlier, the number one disorder that people attempt to fake for maling, for malingering purposes is schizophrenia. So keep that in mind. That is like, and I read a statistic and please forgive me. Um, but it's something like 87% of people try to fake schizophrenia. Like if they're malingering. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So avoid that one guys, I guess. Yeah. I mean, 87% somewhere around there It was in the 80th percentile. So But the number one giveaway and what they're going to be when that clinician comes in and sits across from Lori Vallow, the very, very first thing that they look for, other than obviously like, you know, physical demeanor and and is she camped, unkempt, so on and so forth, is conflicting symptom disorders. So let's say that they watch her in the waiting room before she comes into the office and she's smiling and laughing and acting normal and then comes in and sits down and looks like death warmed over. Like, I'm suddenly depressed. (laughs) I'm upset.
1: You mean it like it looks like she's melted a Jolly Rancher and dyed her hair with coffee grounds, or
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> or we can just say okay. she looks like her mother. I mean, let's simplify. Oh. <laughs> let's just simplify oh. it.
1: <laughs> can you imagine someone saying that? That would be like, ugh, it just the I I want to gag, but I'm somehow grossed out enough to not even gag at the idea of that her mom is so gross
0: (laughs) that is what my sleep paralysis demon looks like when it stares at me from the corner of my room is janice cox (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then also i don't know especially to basic questions what's your name i don't know what did you have for breakfast i don't know like that usually nine times out of ten apparently indicates that someone is deliberately trying to pass off as possessing a fake mental disorder Okay. And then obviously, I mean, I know a lot of our listeners, and Brittany, you too, like your mothers, the very first way that you bust your child in something is if your kid's like, I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, or you're, that, you're, 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 you know, I did not. Why do you think I did? And that's, they accuse the clinician of basically inferring that they are faking uh, their disorder or symptoms or symptoms.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't lie to you. Yeah, <laughs> I, we've, we've heard it. <laughs> Okay. Well, basically, I guess if you are a mother, you're seeing right through her bullshit, maybe a little bit faster than everyone else. So congratulations. Right.
0: So most people are exposed for criminal malingering by inconsistencies in their behavior. And again, do you think Lori Vallow is going to be able to play the long con?
1: Um, I'm going to say, no, I don't find her to exactly be a Meryl Streep in, uh, Her acting skills.
0: Exactly. The two types of inconsistencies that they'll be looking for um, is reported symptoms of external and internal functions. So an example of this would be, and this is a, you know, shout out to you, Barry Cox. I know you're terrified of like the government and the FBI. An example of this would be if someone has delusions that someone is chasing them like the government, right? Like the government's after you, the FBI is after you. We've all seen those people, the tinfoil hat memes, right? Like they're terrified Mm -hmm. of all of it. So if that person is sitting down in a chair in a clinician's office and the clinician then brings up a government agency, the CIA, FBI, and the patient doesn't actually externally like respond to that, or internally respond to that. Um, that could be a red flag that they're looking for.
1: Them not reacting to that would show that they forgot to keep up the charade exactly. for a second. Exactly. I gotcha. You okay. got it.
0: You got it. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. So then there's psychosis, and it's right up there with schizophrenia as being the like the, the second most common um, in terms of when we're looking at criminal cases, especially homicides. And people will say that they have auditory and visual hallucinations. Uh, Like, Brittany, how many times have you been reading an article on a murder and someone said, oh, like, I heard something? Um, Like, I was hallucinating. Yeah, Yeah, uh, I was hallucinating. So one of the things that a lot of people who try to malinger in this manner, they don't realize is that delusions stay around for a very, very long time and they don't end.
1: Basically, what comes to mind from, like, a Mormon perspective Mm -hmm is we know that Lori says that she has seen angels. She's seen Jesus. Chad says that the veil is always open for him. He can always look into heaven anytime he wants and see God if he wants to. They hear the spirit. They hear um, what what they describe as basically God's instruction in their ears as to what they have to do. We do have an uphill battle here because Mormon beliefs of personal revelation when written down on paper, basically say that everyone is entitled to psychosis. We are entitled to hear God and have literal angels visit us. Like like there is this weird gray area that I'm seeing that.
0: Do you think this will come up?
1: I think there's a chance. I mean, we have to, we have to look at this um, from how, John Pryor, how Mark Means is going to try shaping this for the jury. At the end of the day, they're trying to to tell the story in the way that's going to best benefit their clients. And in this case, it's not going to look good for them to be like, no, no, no. The way they heard voices and stuff was totally normal. This is like, it's cool. That's not going to go over well with a jury that's more than likely going to be from Idaho and could potentially have a higher probability of. Being LDS. You might you might have more Mormons on a jury than you would in any other state, just given statistics. But I, I I can see how they might be able to get away with calling this psychosis because they have established a long history of visual hallucinations on paper and auditory hallucinations on paper between Chad's books, their podcasts, their conversations, even the recorded call between. Melanie, Chad, and Lori, there were so many instances there that if a clinical psychologist who knows nothing about Mormonism, they're going to look at that and be like, oh, psychosis, Mm -hmm. cool.
0: (laughs) Being non-LDS, I had absolutely no idea that that would even be on the table. And that would be a really, really, really interesting piece, especially when we look at uh, the demographics of Idaho as a whole. That's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out.
1: Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous. I wasn't until this moment Man, I can see it going that way if, if they're looking at using crazy and this exact definition, right? Delusions stay around for a long time and do not end quickly. Chad's entire career technically has been based mm-hmm. on his auditory and visual hallucinations on, on paper, right? I mean
0: I mean currently Julie Rowe's entire career is based on this as well. This is also true.
1: And you know what? Keep at it, girl. Julie, if you hear this. You keep shaking it for us on TikTok. We need you right now.
0: She, has, she single-handedly made the pandemic a little easier to stomach.
1: Se- yeah, seriously. Like, I am eternally grateful for
0: Julie Rowe. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. Um, so what they're going to do is there are a series of tests that specifically look for c- criminal malingering. One of the very first tests that Lori will undergo is called the structured interview of reported symptoms. Uh, It's a structured clinical interview. It takes roughly 45 minutes and basically it may be used to differentiate malingered schizophrenia and mood disorders from from genuine presentations. That has also been used to investigate um, other conditions like PTSD, which is also a very, very common one uh, that people use in, in large cases like this. So the very, very first one, the test that she will undergo is basically a list and review of her reported symptoms. And what they do there is they kind of cross-reference them. Um, do they make sense? Do they cancel each other out? Are they conflicting with one another? So off the bat, that is one of the first tests that she will undergo. And then if they're a little bit like sus of her, um, they could also use the test of memory malingering. And what this is, is a lot of people say, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. Right. So it, there, it is actually a test that assists them um, in determining whether a defendant or subject is intentionally responding in a manner to basically pretend that they forgot or to, to pretend that they have some sort of memory impairment.
1: Okay. So – for her answers, if she's kind of being difficult with a clinical psychiatrist or psychologist and saying, oh, I don't remember. I don't, you know, I don't know what the charges were. I don't remember being in court. This test is going to be able to prove that she is fully capable of recalling and understanding information that she's been told.
0: Correct. Okay.
1: (laughs) So what does that mean then? So at the end of that test, What, I guess, what do you think will happen?
0: I don't think that, first of all, I don't think that Lori's going to play that particular test. I think that I don't believe that she's going to say that she forgot anything. I honestly think it could go four ways. We've discussed in great detail, I believe, on this show, uh, the belief systems of off-the-grid and weird LDS sex, as well as traditional mainstream Mormonism there's a reason why preparing a people has big events with Jason Mouse Julie Rose, Chad Daybells, um, who are some other ones, Brittany that are in that same vein.
1: Hector Sosa, who has been laying very low for a while.
0: Honestly, I have not heard from him since his little fed.
1: Yeah. I imagine that that will change as the trials start heating up. I mean, we saw the witness list for the grand jury stuff. There was a laundry list of people there. I'm sure Everyone who's been hiding under a rock for the last year is going to be forced out of it soon.
0: I hope so. And a lot of these people who read these, these people's books, you know, they believe it hook, line and sinker. They believe and then they too believe that they have auditory and visual hallucinations and they believe this to their core. But with everything that we know about Lori Vallow, here are the four paths forward that I personally see. Starting with number one, that she really does believe everything that she and Chad discussed about the light and dark, uh, zombies and portal, like closet portals. She could be totally bought in and can't quite understand the line between fantastical religious bullshit and her reality. It is possible, in fact, that the court proceedings um, that have finally caused some sort of rift or a break in kind of these two pieces of her. So that could, you know, definitely create suicidal ideation and possible psychosis. What do you think?
1: I mean, yeah, I, from a, from a small perspective, I myself had a bit of cognitive dissonance when I was an active member of the church. There were a lot of pieces that you kind of push out the way things that maybe don't sit right with you. You push it out the way and you just keep focusing on the other stuff that you think is okay. You kind of have to do that anytime you're involved in something that, probably isn't right. And I imagine that she had to utilize cognitive dissonance to overcome those, you know, normal biological instincts of protect your kids and, you know, don't kill them and things like that.
0: No, everyone does experience cognitive dissonance at like at some point in their life. So, you know, for me, I had this ex um, early in college and they constantly cheated on me, like constantly. And yeah, whatever. <laughs> but, you know, like the red flags, we all see red flags and every day in our life, probably at some point, And sometimes we choose to ignore them. We find something really, really good about whatever the scenario is. And we choose to go with the good stuff and hold on and cling on to that rather than, you know, accept the fact that there are more red flags in the Soviet Union. Like it's, it happens. It happens.
1: I think it's a totally normal experience. And um, with Lori, though, what she had to have experienced—if this is actually what's happening with her—as as a mom myself, you know, like I—I I think it would have to take so much for her to buy into those beliefs that Chad wrote in his books that they hear at these conventions and these speaking events. She would have to disregard every instinct in her body to protect. And defend her children to take care of her family. She'd have to ignore all of that and hold on to this belief system. And it's so sad that this is not the only time that that happens. Like mm-hmm. so many times, people hold on to these good things where they think are really good things, and they don't realize that it doesn't even come close to outweighing the bad. And if that's what's happened to Lori, and she's now realizing the gravity of her choices. I mean, I would probably, I would probably feel pretty insane myself.
0: No, absolutely. And it makes me think, um, I know that we're going to be talking and discussing uh, Colby's uh, recent interview with Justin Lum. But if you recall, right after Lori was extradited to Idaho, he would go visit her in jail. And the same thing, she was telling him, you know, everything's going to be fine. We're going to figure this out. The kids are okay. I can't tell you where they are or what happened to them, but we're going to get to the bottom of this. And I mean, that was over a year ago. So that was
1: right about the time the world was supposed to end, according to Chad and Lori. Yeah,
0: about a year ago, almost exactly. Well, well, don't forget that that deadline ended up being pushed out and pushed out and pushed out. (laughs) But that's
1: just how it goes, right? That that in and of itself is cognitive dissonance.
0: Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah, so I mean, you, you you brought up a really good point. Like, what if she did wake up and she's just now realizing the gravity of her actions? Like, I cannot even imagine. I can't I can't even begin to fathom what that would feel like.
1: You said that you can see this going one of four ways. The first way you said, Lori actually buys into everything. The second way is Lori did buy into everything and suddenly realized it was all bullshit. What are the other two pads you see here?
0: Third would be criminal malingering, which we've already covered uh, today. Um, Basically, she's hoping for some sort of change in outcome, which, you know, even just kicking the can down the road, just even time would be still be considered criminal malingering. And then the final way that I see this going is that maybe Mark Means does, in fact, want her case separated from Chad's. You know, if they really draw this out and essentially Lori potentially malingers it and can kick the can down the road, then that would actually push Chad's case to go ahead. Like he would be forced to go ahead solo. So she could be buying time to make sure that she's not connected to the man uh, whose home and backyard the children were found in. Mm,
1: That would be, in my opinion, probably the best way to go if you were going to pick one of the four. That would be my that would be my bet by replacing one, but I don't know if you knew this. I'm kind of grounded from gambling based on the last gamble that I made on one of your episodes. So I'm just going to sit this one out.
0: Do you have any other theories? <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I um, I actually believe that Chad and Lori entirely believe everything they've said. I actually believe that. I don't know that we're actually going to see Lori have that wake up moment Again, I believe that if you are a parent, it's in your DNA at that point to do anything you can for your child. And she left, she left those responsibilities behind long before those kids were ever buried in someone's backyard. Mm-hmm. No, she, she, she abandoned not. them in so many other ways before it even got to taking their lives from them or orchestrating um, their murders. And so for her to get to a mental place to accept that that was what needed to happen, You would have to be bought in so hard into this belief system. So I actually would say your first, you know, of the four paths you listed, they believe everything and her lawyer smart enough to realize that's insane. And that's why we're we're
0: seeing this now. I completely agree with you. I've thought all along that they actually did believe what Chad preached. Otherwise, would it really make sense that so many people would be involved look at the Palowskis who haven't been mentioned a lot lately, have they? Awfully suspicious that Ian just magically, you know, found and married Melanie after what, two weeks or <laughs> thereabouts, about somewhere like Zulema, um, Melanie Gibb, you have all of these people, Jason Mao, uh, all of these people who are involved. So I think it only makes sense in my opinion. I agree wholeheartedly with you that they do in fact believe what they were teaching, what Chad was teaching.
1: Lori wasn't the only one to walk out on her children. Don't forget Mm -hmm. Melanie P or at the time Boudreaux, she straight up left her kids, like just moved up to Idaho. No kids with her, just left. Right. And did Melanie Gibb
0: do the same?
1: Melanie Gibb uh, left her husband, left her kids. And, and you know, in her defense, maybe kids are a little bit older. I believe she has a couple that are um, over the age of 18 now. But, you know, thinking back at the time, she still had a son with autism. I mean, if for anyone, I, I, my, my kiddo doesn't have autism, but I've been around kids that do struggle with that. And you can't just up and change things. Like patterns and procedures are so important in keeping things consistent. She knew better. And her belief system that she had at that time was still more important than her fulfilling her duty as a parent, as a provider, as a caretaker that's supposed to be that person that understands more than anyone else in this world, the need of her child. And it was not enough. Like Chad was, was above everything else. The belief system was above everything else. It's more likely in my mind that they believed this because we've seen other examples of people abandoning their families at the same time. Okay. So obviously after the charges were finally read and we got the validation we've been waiting for for so long that murder charges were presented for Lori and Chad, Justin Lum decided to bring Kay and Larry on for an interview and just kind of get their take and like what happened and how they were feeling.
0: Yeah. And Another interesting piece too is that the announcement of the results of the grand jury, right? Like, so the indictments, um, it happened on JJ's birthday.
1: No. So, so sad because mm-hmm. every single time someone said like, well, happy birthday JJ, my heart just like broke. Cause there's nothing happy about this situation. Mm-mm. It's, it's obviously good that we're finally starting to see the glimmer of justice on the horizon. But nothing about this is a happy situation. I feel so just I guess heartbroken. I wish I had a better word, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I'm glad that I'm glad that um finally it's here.
0: It is, and I think that the that Larry and Kay actually summed it up perfectly. Uh, they said that it was quote, the epitome of bittersweet. Justin Lum asked them if they were happy about it, how they felt and they said relieved. They're glad that they are here now, but now they have, they have to take time to digest all of it. And just a, a few pieces that I found interesting from this interview is that Justin Lum asked, you guys you know, really put pressure on law enforcement when the kids went missing, especially for JJ. And that may be one of the most important things that you guys have done in your entire lives starting with with Charles's murder, you guys had suspicions and blah blah blah. And Larry actually said something that was very interesting that he said that he became concerned back in 2017. He said that his intuition kicked in and that he noticed that there was a weird problem with Laurie and Charles. So he said that he picked up on it and started worrying, especially because it was very clear apparently that Laurie did not they had a special needs child in the equation, and that's very 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 high pressure.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't realize that they were kind of on alert since 2017. But that makes sense why things escalated what it seemed to be so quickly for them to say, you know, okay, welfare check for them to be concerned clear back to 2017. These poor people have been grieving for a lot longer than I realized.
0: Yeah. And I think the general narrative is that Charles was murdered, and then immediately Kay and Larry were like, on alert. Um, But apparently it went, I mean, obviously it went back way further than that because, remember, Charles confided in Kay and changed the life insurance policy over and all of that. So their concern has predated what I think most people are actually discussing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was a surprise to me, too.
0: One other piece, too, is that Justin Lum... Finally brought up Chad and how they felt about Chad. And he wanted to know if they thought that a simple man from Idaho could influence Lori in the way that he had basically all of the having all of this end in murder. And Kay again said the one phrase that keeps being repeated over and over again in this case is that it was the perfect storm. It makes me think of Melanie Gibb when she said what, like fire and
1: Fire and gasoline. Fire and gasoline. Are very deep intellectually <laughs> inclined. Melanie G. Yeah. God I hate her. I I I hate her.
0: But yeah, Kay said that they were the perfect storm, but she does not believe that if Lori had not met Chad, that if Lori had not met Chad, she does not believe that Lori would have potentially murdered Charles, maybe even the children. She believes that Lori would have still blown up her world as we know it, you know, with her children, her family and and Charles and so forth they said that it was very evident that Lori was tired of her life uh, being a mom to an autistic child and then also a teenager. And so they both are firmly behind the belief that Chad facilitated the series of murders.
1: Yeah. I can see why they would say that. I personally disagree, but I can see why they would think that.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, if Lori Vallow isn't a prime candidate for the show snapped, I don't know what is.
1: I mean, keep in mind, she was Chad's books were the ones that she was, you know, interested in, but Mm -hmm. she was already going to a bunch of these different like speaking events and hanging out with Melanie. Mm -hmm. She already knew a lot of the stuff. Like I, I think it's almost giving Chad too much credit, you know, like don't, don't do Lori any favors here. Like she's very manipulative. Don't make it seem like Chad is this mastermind. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, we talk a lot about Charles when it comes to the Woodcocks, but there's one piece of it that they brought up in the conversation with Justin and they were saying they don't buy that Alex was this um, equal party to Chad and Lori. They said it's very suspicious that he dies the day after Tammy was exhumed. Um, they, they definitely don't think that he died of natural causes and Larry said like three different times, he goes, it's not okay that the only person alive to tell us what happened in that room with Charles there is Lori, because JJ and Tyree and Alex are gone. They weren't necessarily defending Alex, but it seemed like they were very much not okay with just like letting it go. Like, okay, we've got Lori, we've got these murder charges. They weren't okay with just saying, all right, at least we have this. They definitely want to see... Lori held more responsible because Alex isn't here to share that burden as well. So that that'll be interesting to see how this plays out and what what we learn about Alex and how they then respond to that again. The other thing is Kay talked about how uh, she was able to talk with prosecution. It sounds like they were at least privy to some of this information before the uh, conference itself. Um, But she said that someone. She first said Rob Wood, but then she quickly corrected and goes, Oh, it might have been someone else. It's a little fuzzy. So I think she actually might have been lying right there. I think it was Rob Wood. But, anyways, Kay verified that they would be pursuing capital punishment within 60 days, deciding oh, wow. whether or not that would or wouldn't happen. Now, mm-hmm. if you're the prosecutor and you're telling them, Hey, we've got murder charges, and the first question that the family of the victims, you know, it's, Hey, are you guys going to go for capital punishment, their answer, if they're going to say no, they're like, no, I'm sorry, like, we're just going to, we're going to try and make sure that they, that justice is served, you would say no, basically, if the answer is kind of yes, but don't tell anyone, you're going to say, hey, we've got 60 days to announce that with like a wink and a nudge. So I feel like that was basically Rob Wood or the someone else on the prosecution saying, yeah, we're gonna go for capital punishment. Oh, the other thing that I kind of love, Kay said that she was looking forward to being able to give Lori that same smug look that Lori gave to her walking out of the courtroom. Do you remember that? Oh, I
0: love that. I actually just saw a still of that uh, earlier today, actually. That has become, you know, one of the snapshot moments of this case, I think, is Lori walking out with that smug smile, like the look on her face, and then Kay's kind of looking after her, upset and angry.
1: Yeah. I mean, Kay looks like she could jump over that bench and just like, (laughs) and Lori right there. And I love that Kay is not the person that's like, we just have to forgive. Like, she's like, no, I will be giving her the exact same look that she gave me. And I will watch her walk away for the rest of her life, either behind bars or to her death. Like Kay is so what I need to like, hold on to. Like, she's that person that I'm like, you know, I think I think Larry's great and he's sweet and he's nice and he's like all about love. But Kate, she feeds my soul. Like <laughs> I need her to continue to speak out for for my own sanity.
0: Mm-hmm. No, definitely, <laughs> she's a whole mood.
1: Yes, I I adore everything about what she said with that statement. So yeah, great interview, um, Justin. Justin walked through everything it was great to hear their insight on things and I really hope we get to hear more from them as the case
0: continues mm-hmm. I think for me at least watching this interview really actually put it into reality for me that Lori and Chad could both actually be facing the death penalty you know I like I knew up until this point that okay yeah they'll they'll be facing the death penalty whatever but like watching the Woodcocks interview actually really made me realize that it's a possibility an actual probability I would say at this point yeah um, oh, yeah. How are you feeling about that? Like, are you okay with the death penalty what? outcome? In well, this? Well,
1: okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm in Idaho. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but we don't have an NFL team here. So really, all we have is to look forward to death penalty cases. So we're on board. We're here. <laughs> we're here for it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm completely the opposite. I have historically, almost vehemently, been anti-death penalty. And, you know, a lot of people know how the death penalty process works. It's it's incredibly unlikely that if Lori and Chad were, in fact, sentenced to death, that they would even be executed anytime, even in the next decade. Is that how it is in Idaho? Or, like, what is the average, like, length of, of sentence? You know, California, they can wait 30 years previously.
1: You know, I'm not sure how long that they wait. I know we actually have eight people that are on death row right now. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty low number, all things considered. But I just want to like reiterate part of, part of why death row makes sense for something like this is d- death row is there to show people like we are not okay with that in the state. Like you can, you might be able to pull this in other places, but Idaho, no. Like we are going to make sure that we set an example out of these two. Um, And I think it's the right thing to do. I think anytime you have someone that's already wasted taxpayer money, we've already had to waste money flying her ass from Hawaii to here. Like at this point, we're, we're all in, we've bought in, like I'm so on board for capital punishment.
0: (laughs) Damn, get a room with it. Um, no, I'm, and that's really interesting. I'm actually on the opposite end of the spectrum, not just because I don't believe in the death penalty. Uh, but also if you know how the death penalty process works, like let's say that both she and Chad are sentenced to death. We're going to be talking about endless appeals. The cost of this trial for security and police investigators, Rob Wood's team, like all of the God millions of dollars that this is going to cost is only going to be a drop in the bucket compared to what sentencing Lori and Chad to death will be. So my opinion, even though it really doesn't matter in any way, shape, or form, I fully respect yours and especially the Woodcock's opinion on this, you know, to weigh in on what's in your hearts on all of this. For me, I... Yeah, life with no possibility of parole. Like, I'm definitely pushing for that instead of death.
1: Okay. Can I make a little case for you, though? Yeah. Because... Here's my sales pitch for the death penalty, Mm -hmm. at least here in Idaho. Okay. So um, their accommodations, if we're just going to talk about our death penalty amenities that we offer here (laughs) in our beautiful state, um, all of our death row guests, uh, they get 23 hours a day in a 12 foot by seven cell. Mm -hmm. Um, They have very comfortable restraints on them at all times when they're being moved to their one hour of outside rec time a day. Um, they have to be restrained even going to the shower, uh, going to have a meeting with an attorney, going to get medical care. It's not just the fact that we get to celebrate the idea that these two monsters uh, got what they deserved. It's not just that we know what their future is going to be. It's that we have a sure like, plan in place for them to have just misery, until they die. Like, there is mm-hmm. there is a satisfaction in knowing that 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 punishment alone, that they have to wake up every day in misery. They have to think about why they're there every single day. And their ending is, sure, we know what's going to happen. They know what's going to happen. And they have to live with that every single moment. I don't know. Maybe I'm a terrible person, but I find, like, like peace in that. Is that wrong? I find peace knowing that that is their
0: future but like who's the worst person here because for me i think about it in the death penalty that sometime probably in the next 20 years they'll be put to death if we're talking about life without the possibility of parole she has Lori's what like almost 50 now yeah hovering around 50 she could Mm -hmm. have 40 more years of languishing in prison unable to have her you know like actual necessities that she's looking for, you know, life without the possibility of parole, she's not exactly going to be able to hang out, you know, in the rec yard or wherever all the time anyway. So like, I don't know. I I feel like 40 years of being in prison, at least for me, would be far more torturous than just having my light snuffed out in 10.
1: (laughs) Okay. I can see that. I think I'm just looking at it more as it seems more restrictive on death row. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, It seems more isolated. Um, I can't think of a better, a better treatment than to take literally everything from someone that took so much from two innocent people. okay, three, if you if you count Tammy too, I mean, there is such a ripple effect that these two have left behind either way. Justice will be served either way. Like we already know that the charges are stacked up against them. No one's walking away from this something they they will be in prison that there will be something there it's just a matter of how severe is this going to be how serious is prosecution going to take this let's not forget rob wood imported an absolute seasoned pro with death penalty cases
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: so i don't think that was a coincidence i think the fact that we saw them bring on another attorney We are now hearing the Woodcocks say that there was kind of this wink, wink, nudge, nudge moment that they've got 60 days to make an announcement. I think we're going to see a little bit more of a push for death row than anything else.
0: Interesting. It'll be interesting to see which way it goes for sure. To be perfectly honest with you, I'm not like completely invested in either one as long as they're in prison and there's some sort of accountability and outcome here. I'm good.
1: Well, as long as you're happy, Robin, that's really all that matters here.
0: That's so true.
1: <laughs> Such a dick comment. Take that back. I'm, leaving it. Back. I'm leaving it.
0: I'm no. leaving uh, it. So moving on to other news, we actually just missed this news again by a couple hours. Like that was a very busy day, and we missed a lot of the news by like thirty minutes. It could have saved us uh, a lot of are, grief.
1: We are apparently not very good with our timing.
0: Uh-uh, very bad. So the Charles Vallo news, which is huge. Not so much in how things are actually going to end up playing out in Idaho, but, you know, still, I think for just for the sake of it happening um, is huge news. So the Chandler, um, Chandler, Arizona Police Department submitted charges against Lori Vallow to the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. The charge is for conspiracy to commit first degree murder. If you remember, months ago, the Chandler Police Department said that they were eyeing and likely closing in on conspiracy mm-hmm. to commit murder charges. And there's no timeline on how long it will take for them to come to a conclusion on whether to proceed with that.
1: So we just have to keep our eye on that one, I guess. While Justin Lum quickly interviewed the Woodcocks, he also was able to talk with Colby Ryan too long after the charges were read, right? That is true. So what do you think about that interview?
0: Lum has a very interesting interview style. It's completely different from Nate Eaton, who we previously have been seeing, you know, doing all of these large scale, uh, higher profile interviews. It's really sad watching Colby. His anger is palpable. Justin Lum asked him how he feels and he just said it got worse. Like it literally got worse after the charges um, for first degree murder were announced. And then what I said earlier uh, that Colby said that since the very beginning in Idaho, like the baby steps in this case, that basically every conversation he's had with Lori since she's been in Idaho has been pointless. She's, again, said, everything's fine. We're going to figure this out. And even after, remember, guys, even after um, the kids were found, Colby confronted her and she just told him, you weren't there for them. Oh, my God. that... In itself, that one sentence made me completely believe that Lori is actually well aware of her faculties. Like, she's cognizant of what she's doing.
1: Seriously. So she's putting blame on someone who would have done anything for those kids. And, oh, my heart hurts for him.
0: One Mm -hmm. phrase that Colby kept saying is that Lori is, quote, out of her mind. He said that probably no less than like 10 to 12 times that she's out of her mind, out of her mind. So obviously that piques my curiosity is like, well, what do you mean out of her, out of her mind? In oh, regards- especially
1: with all the crazy talk now too. Yikes.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then he also kept saying that she knows better. She knows better. So Which
1: is important. Mm-hmm. If, if he's saying that as much as he's saying that she's out of her mind, that kind of goes back to the whole crazy But not insane. She's crazy because of what she did, but she's not insane because she knew better. So he's kind of speaking to the part. If if he's saying the two of those things together, he's indicating she's aware, she knows, she's capable of standing trial. What she did is awful, but she knows what happened.
0: That's that was my understanding and interpretation. So yes. Also, Justin Lum asked Colby if he thinks again the same question that he threw to the Woodcocks. uh, Does he think that Chad manipulated Lori? And Colby was actually very forthright. He was like, nope, she did whatever she wanted. You know, she wanted to be alone, no kids, whatever. And she took it upon herself to make that happen. And then the last piece that was really, really interesting to me too. Justin Lum asked him about Alex, about his uncle Alex. And Colby said that he wasn't close with Alex. That Alex was the black sheep of the family, which we've all heard before. And that Lori and Alex got close, like super close more recently. Because for some reason, I had it in my mind that Alex and Lori have always been super close. And Colby said, nope, they more recently became close again. Like Alex has been in and out.
1: That's really interesting that Alex, you know, only got close with her with Lori towards the end. Because if you think back to the interview with Janice and Summer, where they were talking about Lori and, you know, oh, yeah, we're this tight knit family. We're all close. And there was this. There's this question that came up in that interview where they said, well, you know, Lori's been married this many times and some are like, what's it slip? She's like, well, we were never invited to any of the weddings. And it's like, oh, you're so close. (laughs) How is that possible? But I have to like really look at all of their relationships and wonder, okay, were they not really that tight knit of a family because we're missing weddings, Alex only showing up in pictures and stuff kind of towards the end. It's... It's weird. That whole family just has such an odd dynamic.
0: Well, I think it's really interesting, too. So apparently, Alex was the black sheep of the family. Obviously, Summer Shifflett and her mother were very close. Alex was the black sheep of the family. Adam. Now, what's really interesting is I've read that Lori convinced her parents that Adam, her brother, right? Um. Apparently, mm-hmm. he was kind of ostracized away from the family because Lori convinced her family the rest of her family, that Adam was a bad person. Like, have and you re- Alex
1: was the one that Charles felt comfortable confiding in too, when, exactly. with everything going on, as well.
0: Exactly. Remember, um, and then Adam and his son Zach, which we'll talk, you'll talk more about here in a moment. I think, um, actually left town after that because they feared for their safety. So
1: wild. Okay. So. Yeah, this will be really interesting because I feel like everyone's kind of claiming to be the black sheep of this family.
0: (laughs) So, But is this family as close as they claim they were? Because it seems to me like they're fragmented.
1: Well, yeah. And Zach lived with Charles and Lori for a while. Melanie lived with them. And Melanie's parents were these like weird, strange things. And then the drama in this family. Like, you could... I don't know why Lifetime focused on Chad and Lori first. Like, Can we actually get right back into the Cox family for a little while? Because there is some stuff that has happened in that.
0: My all-time favorite being Barry Cox's book on how to basically beat the IRS.
1: (laughs) I'm a fan. I'm a fan of that. And don't forget, you can actually just be a lawyer by just announcing that and starting to give legal advice. That is a a Barry Cox signature right there. That is true. (laughs) Pro gamer move. Skip law (laughs) school and just get a sticky note on your door. Mm -hmm. Barry Cox, uh, attorney at law, sort of. Kind of. (laughs) Zach Cox, who is Adam's son, did an interview with Justin Lum. And how do you think that one, how, how do you think that one wins?
0: So I found it was really interesting. Um, I think it confirmed a lot of our suspicions on Melanie Gibb. Uh, for example, Zach mentioned that Lori couldn't, you know, when, when Charles was out doing work stuff. And remember when Lori uh, moved his car, took away all of his stuff, hid some of it apparently behind um, like their prepping supplies. Wow. Yeah, like in their home that she couldn't have done all of that alone in the time frame that she was given. And he completely implicated Melanie Gibb. That there's no way in the time frame that Lori had to move stuff, move a car, steal money, do all of these things that Melanie Gibb was there and helping her do it. And Zach's obviously an innocent bystander of all of this. And so having him come out and be like, no, that bitch was there was, I think, speaks, speaks volumes.
1: I love that. And, you know, the other thing, too, that we haven't really been able to see in very many other family members. I feel like Zach was so genuine when he said, I wish I would have done more. I wish I could go back. I wish I could do this. I don't feel like we hear a lot of that from other people. I think it's more, they kind of chalk it up to like, oh, I had no idea what was going on. And they essentially excuse themselves. And I think Zach was really, I just, I feel so bad because he was just a kid when this was going on. And we don't know. You know what his family situation was like, where he, for whatever reason, wasn't living with his dad, and he was living with Charles and Lori. And so I have to assume that, you know, things weren't exactly great for him. He was probably not in a really good place. And then all this is going on. We know that he feared for his life at one point. And he is still taking the time to say, God, I wish I could have done something else. I, I wish I could go back. I have a lot of respect for people that can honestly look at a situation knowing full well there's nothing they could have done and they still wish there was something
0: no it was really interesting i would actually prefer to be honest with you out of all of the characters in like this right um i think that zach actually offers a lot of insight i mean he really you know he was a part of the family he had that i believe what he called a front row view a front row view of everything that was happening because what i'm understanding is that Lori, i mean she was kind of a rebel right like that's my understanding in high school she dated around a lot she married a non-Mormon right out of high school. She didn't invite her parents, Summer shiftlet. She divorced, remarried again. Like, I can't imagine in a religious LDS family that that would be looked or you know smiled upon.
1: Yeah, I, the only thing that Lori was probably great at was making other people think that she was great. And Zach saw through that bullshit, even as a kid. And then not just that, but he saw through the bullshit when uh, the kids were missing. He saw through the bullshit when Lori was only in jail at the time for not saying where the kids were. He has been probably one of the most vocally critical of the family from the beginning. And he was slash is still a kid. Mm -hmm. He's young. He hasn't he's had just as much time to process as everyone else. Mm -hmm. And he still saw through bullshit and called people out. That's a really brave thing to do. Mm
0: -hmm. I really enjoyed hearing from him. And it really made me think of, for some reason, you know, hearing more from the Cox family really made me question. There's one question I really, really have. And it's, is Janice Cox going to get away with saying that she spoke with JJ almost a month after he had been murdered?
1: Ooh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But don't forget, her husband is an attorney. So, like...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, God.
1: No, there's there's no way she's going to get off, like, without something happening. Unless unless we just basically decide she's old and gross and we just let it go.
0: <laughs> oh. She's
1: like crater face. It's so gross.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, that's something that, like, I've always wondered is there are so many people involved in this case. We have Zulema. We have M- Melanie Pulowski, Ian Pawlowski, uh Melanie Gibb you know, the Cox family who willingly lied. So like, are other people going to potentially see any sort of charges like misleading law enforcement, um, obstruction, aiding and abetting, like anything like that? I personally don't think so. I think that we're just going to see Chad and Lori go down and that be it. With the exception of maybe Melanie Gibb. I hope so.
1: Yeah, I hope Melanie goes down. I also really hope that the Pulowski's are somehow brought up into this as well. I think it's absolutely unacceptable for us to just disregard the attempted shooting on Brandon. Melanie polowski sneaking around trying to steal her kids back. Um, her coming to Lori's defense constantly. She, Melanie Pawlowski even went to Hawaii with Lori when the kids were straight up missing. And she was like, oh yeah, like we just normally don't talk about the kids. So I didn't think to ask What? I sincerely hope that we see more. I will lose sleep over it if if we only see things happen to to Chad and Lori. I will straight up lose sleep over it.
0: I have to say too, I've never announced this before, but for a very long time we actually had a mole on Melanie Pulowski's Facebook and they pulled a lot of her old posts and stuff like that. So we were able to see like how Melanie Pulowski responded to her private Facebook friends as the case unfolded. And she is a complete sack of shit.
1: Yeah. And all of her stuff, too, where she was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to miss JJ so much. And it's like, are you kidding me? Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: Like, no. I sincerely hope we see way more happen to some of these other players in the game because it's not fair to just say we're happy with Chad Laurie behind bars when they couldn't have done what they did without the help of so many other people.
0: That's a true story. Okay, so Brittany, do you want to talk about the upcoming court dates and what we should expect over the next couple weeks? Because there's quite a bit of activity coming.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so June 9th is the very next time we're going to have anything court related for either of the Daybells. We know it's morning. I don't believe a time has been set yet, but June 9th, that is for Chad Daybell's arraignment. So the last thing we had was his just initial appearance. Where charges are read, the arraignment's kind of a little bit more of a big deal. This is where Chad is gonna be entering in his plea. Guilty, not guilty. I don't know if we'll get any other random surprises with mental health, but if we just have they're gonna be entering in as uh, not guilty, then we probably will see prosecution start their uh, 60 day clock on whether or not they'll be going with the death penalty.
0: I'm like almost, I'm super actually really excited for this. It's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. And do you know for sure if it's televised or not? Like, will there be a Zoom meeting? There should be, right?
1: Yeah, I think this next one, there is going to be a Zoom thing for it. Um, As far as things opening up in Idaho, I mean, we never really went under lockdown. So I just kind of don't think we're going to see... Too many more appearances where it's just over Zoom. I imagine very soon we're going to start seeing in-court appearances. Yeah. I think we're probably going to hear an official, he, whether he's pleading guilty or not guilty.
0: Do you have an like, instinct on which way he's going to go?
1: I think, I think right off the bat, if he says not guilty, that basically cements my... I don't know, bet that we're going to see capital punishment on the table. If Mm -hmm. he goes not guilty, I think we're going to see the prosecution come in aggressively at that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If he pleads guilty, I would say that a deal would have had to be struck to make that worth the risk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If he pleads guilty, I would say we could also assume that we would expect capital punishment on Lori because we could assume that Chad took a deal so he wouldn't get the death penalty.
0: Mm -hmm. I completely and wholeheartedly agree on all counts and because it's us watch the exact opposite happen.
1: <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, we really should stop betting
0: <laughs> June. And also to note June 9th is the day that the kids were found in his backyard.
1: Yeah. So far we've had, you know, the last kind of milestone JJ's birthday. We have murder charges and then the exact year again sometimes i just wonder does that like is there someone who's just like super petty that's in charge of scheduling these things or like what why have they done that twice
0: <laughs> yeah it's a little like creepy out of all the days in yeah. the year and these are the days that they decide to to plan things and schedule them it's weird i
1: i really hope we don't have it happen again or else i think the world will end the next time chad predicts it I often find myself looking back to the Casey Anthony case and how she passed every single psych evaluation with flying colors. Mm -hmm. And it was just this insane thing where you have someone who's, you know, capable of communicating. They don't look or seem crazy. And technically on paper, they're not. But they did this terrible, awful thing. So I, I also would love to see when all of this is said and done, what are these underlying things between these people? It's there's got to be something. And if there's not, that's probably even more concerning.
0: Mm-hmm, 100%. And then don't forget, Lori does have additional charges. So on August 30th, she's going, it's, it's her trial for her misdemeanor charges. So resisting yeah. and obstructing officers, solicitation to commit a crime and contempt of court, which she's just like racking stuff up everywhere.
1: Now, this one's not going to be in front of Judge Eddins.
0: Sadly not. I've actually really grown fond of Judge Eddins. I love him.
1: I love it. And, like, again, I'm still not sure if I just, like, overanalyze or what. But I feel like he wears his emotions on his face, and I love it.
0: And for Madison County charges, that's not Judge Eddins. That's Judge Boyce. It's kind of hard sometimes to keep up which judge is, like, you know, overseeing which charges.
1: Well yeah, and even um with Judge Eddins, if you remember, he was actually uh, he had to like recuse himself from the other case and then mm-hmm. after they recused like it was and then lawyers dropped out and then he came back again because yeah. This this whole system has been so weird and because you're seeing what a small area East Idaho is, I think that's why we have so much overlap. So it's confusing, but that's actually one of the reasons we talked about maybe putting together a recap
0: later on. Mm-hmm. Completely, one hundred percent agree. Also, I can't wait for this uh, like entire case to reach a conclusion. I want to know what happened to Lori's original counsel. Ah, <gasps> yes, the girl mm-hmm. with the with the look. Yes. Mm-hmm. I want to know why. Like, what happened there?
1: Yeah, because it's really rare that an attorney can. Um, excuse themselves from a case, right? Like mm-hmm. once you're in, you're supposed to like stay in.
0: You have to have a really good reason. Yeah, I want to know that one. <laughs> so, the next piece is something that I know you're personally really invested in. It's on your favorite <laughs> it's on your favorite channel.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm not even kidding. I feel like June 26th is going to be better than pandemic Christmas because There is a Lifetime movie coming called Doomsday Mom, the Lori Vallow story, and it looks incredible. And by incredible, I mean Lifetime Incredible, which means amazing, cheesy, terrible cast, and probably some very cringe conversations. So here's what I propose. Watch Party. Let's watch this together.
0: I'm all about it. I'm Patreon,
1: so every like we have got to watch this popcorn snacks, bonus points if it's anything potato related. I really think this is going to be incredible. And I, I 100% think it's tacky that Lifetime pumped this out so soon. However, it's super on brand for Lifetime. So, mm-hmm. again, this entire podcast episode is actually sponsored by Lifetime. So, thank you, Lifetime, for, right. for helping us
0: out. <laughs> i can't wait i leave think that we should do a total that. <laughs> i'm gonna leave it and then i can't wait for the season to assist okay so you oh, man it. we're gonna do a patreon only watch party potato themed and we are going to watch this shit show that will be uh, airing on june 26 on lifetime I'm so ready mm-hmm. oh
1: i'm so ready I'm going to post a reminder almost every single day before the 26th. Guys, like, please watch this with me. (laughs) Please.
0: God, the most ridiculous display I've ever seen. So Mark Means, for some reason, can someone tell me why they keep inviting him to court TV where, like, actual lawyers go?
1: Oh, my gosh. I totally saw a clip of him. So he was talking about the Derek Chauvin trial. Court TV. Why would you bring mark means on to talk about that that's the literal worst person to talk about that trial but they brought him on and they actually introduced him as an experienced criminal defense lawyer yeah Ex- like, this is his only experience this one case experienced indicates like past it past tense that he is present tense experience
0: literally none and they're bringing him on as a panelist <laughs>
1: no yeah and so the funniest thing though was they actually had a real life attorney on there that actually had experience and he's answering the questions like a lawyer would. And then they ask Mark means a very, very similar question. And he's like, so here's the thing about basketball guys: You got Michael Jordans and you got, <laughs> you watch the, <laughs> the anchors face. And she just instantly looks just just void of emotion and hope for the rest of the conversation.
0: <sighs> so I think that about wraps it up for today. There's been a lot of activity over the last couple of weeks. And I think the thing I'm most excited about is the recap that we're going to be doing, the recap series.
1: Yes. Yes. So obviously, there's been a lot happening the last few weeks with the trial, with these different allegations, with new cases, new charges it's just all coming together right now. And it kind of feels like we've forgotten about a lot that's happened. And so we thought everyone would appreciate a quick recap, probably not quick. Okay, let's be real. This is not going to be a quick recap.
0: This is going to be a series.
1: (laughs) This is a lot, but I really think we need to reestablish some things. You know, let's Take a little bit more time to to take what we know now, the dates, the times of these things, and go and put that into some previous timelines because what we've heard now, the different recordings, the different quotes, the different uh, things that were happening behind the scenes when, you know, Charles is trying to figure out where his truck is. All of these different things come together and it paints a completely different picture than what we were even discussing last year.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, this this case hit my radar when Lori and Chad were still in Hawaii. I remember, you know, Nate Eaton running alongside them and being like, where are the kids? Yeah. You know, where are the children? And we knew nothing. You know, honestly, if you listen to our very early episodes on this, we actually debated whether or not the children were holed up in a bunker somewhere. Like, I remember we, that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I remember holding out for so long that hope that that was the case. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially as more and more came out, like, do you remember, the, like, the stored unit? Okay. Yeah. I, I'm getting too excited. We will go over all of this in the
0: recap episode. Mm-hmm. Starting. Episodes. Yeah. Starting from literally the very beginning. Let's do it. So that's it for this week, guys. Until next crime.